the more that you can get to know a person on a personal level. What have they been through? What have their life experiences been, not just their work experiences? You start to get a view into what might that ego look like and how can you then help ensure that it gets out of their way. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hi, Dina. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Excellent. Well, let's start off. Of course, I want to hear a bit about you. Can you tell me a bit about what you do? Uh, you know, the company you work for, the general bio would be great to start. Perfect. At Ergotron, we are really focused on helping improve the work lives of our nurses, as well as those of us who just work every single day. We provide solutions that are really focused on your ergonomics and overall well-being. And so my role here is marketing. And I tend to, to educate people to think about marketing from a more modern perspective. Leave behind the idea that marketing is about brochures and sales support and think about modern business practices where everything is done virtually online and in a digital sphere. And what is the role that marketing has in understanding that customer experience and ensuring that we are delighting and exceeding customers' expectations through that entire journey. So that's a really big piece of my focus. With that also comes our innovation. How are we innovating and delivering solutions to our customers, as well as guiding our entire company's drive? That's a fun role to be part of, especially given the amount of disruption that we're... Now, I want to take a step back for a moment. When we first got together and chatted, you told an incredible story about the path that you took to get to where you are today. Can you please tell our listeners about that path? Absolutely. So I've had a very unconventional path, if you will, from a marketing perspective. Probably one of the few that don't carry an MBA or have gone through a traditional college path. So growing up in small town Wisconsin on a farm, really didn't have the confidence and or the funds to think about college in that traditional way. So I ended up getting an associate's degree and starting my career at 3M as an administrative assistant. And I had some phenomenal experiences that truly changed the course of my life while I was at 3M. The first was um, my, my first career as an admin was supporting 3M's largest factory, which is the producer of scotch tape. And my leader at that time was a gentleman who called me into his office one day and said, hey, you know what? You're not cut out for this. You need to go back to school. And at first I was taken back thinking he was telling me I was a horrible administrative assistant. I was really kind of heartbroken. And he said, no, no, Dina, you join my teams and participate as one of my managers, but you aren't getting the value of being a manager. You need to go back to school so you can be recognized and getting the value that you can deliver. So that was step one, was having someone to have the confidence and the belief that I could do more and pushing me to go back to school. So I worked full time, went to school right to the weekends. Shortly after that incident, I had another really powerful moment, and that was with 3M's CEO at that time. We were happened to be in the stairwell going to our offices, and we were there because the elevators weren't working. And so here I am, young, kind of nobody at 3M, and I quickly recognized that 3M's CEO, larger-than-life persona, is in front of me. And in my young brain, I'm going, oh, shoot, what do I do? He's, he's moving slower than I am. Do I pass him? Do I exit on a different floor? Just wait it out a little bit? Do I walk really slow? And as I'm contemplating these ideas of how to handle the situation, he says to me, hey, I hear you back there. 
why don't you come walk beside me instead of behind? And those words were truly impactful and words that stick with me today. Um, I think as any leader to be able to say to your teams, come walk beside me, you get to a better outcome. But that wasn't the only thing. So we continue to hike up these steps. And he spent his entire time asking me what his team was doing to help develop and grow me as a person and my career at 3M. He never asked what I did. He never asked what my job was or what my level was. He was solely focused on the fact, is your manager developing you? Is your manager spending time to figure out what your aspirations are and helping you achieve them? And I left that conversation going, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of impact I want to have. And that really, those two, in, those two um, incidences, if you will, are what absolutely changed the course of the direction of my life and made such a huge impact. A big part of my commitment is how can I take what they did for me and make that a big part of who I am in corporate world? I think there's a deserving shout out in there somewhere to the gentleman at 3M that helped you out. I don't know if I heard his name. There's two. Uh, Joe Nelson was first, and then the 3M CEO at that time was Desi DeSimone. And for any 3Mers who might be listening, he definitely has a big legacy at 3M and was a larger-than-life persona. Amazing. I loved hearing that story. I, I loved it hearing it again just as much as the first time. So I think there's this broader scope involved in that story that I'd like to explore. There's talk of, you know, leaning in, taking initiative, taking ownership. And I think there's also an aspect of finding professional allies and, you know, those, those folks in leadership that'll take a chance to cultivate talent. Can you speak a little bit to that and, and maybe you know, you described how it happened to you already, how you cultivate that moving forward, how you encourage that moving forward. Absolutely. It's a great question. And honestly, sometimes a tough question. And how do you do that? I think each of us are so unique in our, and what our secret powers are. And I think one of my secret powers that I'm really proud of is having the ability to uncover what I would call the hidden gems. And I feel like that's what someone did for me. So maybe that's my, my secret power because I recognize it in others. But it's having that ability to really understand where someone coming from, what have they experienced in their lives, and what are they really passionate about, and how can you help cultivate and grow that and really help that person achieve more than they ever even thought was possible about themselves. I think so often we're all raised with ideas of what we can and can't do or put into roles where there's a box put around us, and that can limit our own safety and our own creativity or what do we think is possible with our own capabilities and skill sets? And so one thing that I just, I, I really love to do and it's a key part of my leadership style is trying to help people understand and find those hidden gems within themselves and uncover what they didn't even think was possible that they could do. And I would say that comes from a couple of things. It comes from having empathy. And you'll hear the word EQ often. In fact, I had once a leader say to me, I have the highest EQ than anyone in this room. And I said, you know, that's great, but how important is IQ versus EQ? Do people really care about your intelligence? You've already proven it. You're CEO. But can you prove that you can connect on an emotional level and understand where people are coming from and that they're humans and that they have human reactions to situations regardless of what's happening at work? And so that's a big part of my style is coming more from that EQ and empathy standpoint. And honestly, just being who I am. I truly believe in what was said to me. Walk beside me, not behind me. And when you can work with a team that sees themselves as partners, 
and in it together, I think you get the best out of everywhere in that scenario. That's, that, that's going to resonate with me. The walk beside me, not behind me. I'm going to think about that for a while. <laughs> yes, it's a powerful statement, isn't it? It is, really is. Especially, you know, I, I think hearing that story, the elevator story is interesting because, you know, it, hearing it, you're trying to, to decide what's the power play here? Do I, you know, do I make a power play to, to stand out, you know? Or do I sit back and, you know, assume my role, you know, below that person, so to speak. And just that, that, that CEO, you know, saying that to you that, you know, we are one and the same here, you know, that's powerful. Very powerful. And yeah, it sets a bar for what you'd expect from me. For me, it's not a bar of what to expect going forward. I have to be honest throughout my career, I've been very fortunate to have similar leaders across my, my entire career experience. And I don't know if it's, opportunity and you seek each other out and you align or if I was purely lucky but I do feel really blessed by being able to coached mentored and brought up under such great and inspirational leaders so on the other side of things if you didn't receive this mentorship and you know didn't have these professional allies that at the times at the time were in leadership positions above you how do you think your career would be different that is such a good question and a deep question to be honest. There's a part of me who says, wow, if those things didn't happen, I would likely still be in Wisconsin today. I'd probably still have some connection, much closer to connection to being on the farm um, in that small town persona and kind of where I was headed there. So there's a part of me who says that's maybe where I would be. Then there's the other part of me who says, maybe I would have ended up in a similar place, but I would have taken a very different path. Maybe it would have been harder. Maybe it would have taken me longer, but perhaps I'm ending up exactly where I'm supposed to be. I just was able to take a different path. So you already alluded to this being a tough question. I'm going to make it a little bit tougher. Would you talk about how other organizations, whether it be in marketing or beyond that scope, how do you make this scalable to cultivate talent? I mean, I, I think I've heard you say, you know, you look for empathy in individuals, I can hear you say you look for passion in individuals, you know, those who really care about not only their work, but others around them. You know, is it even possible? Is there even an answer to make this scalable across organizations and teams within organizations? It's funny. I was actually having this conversation with my husband a couple of nights ago. He was talking about, at a much broader scope, how can you make an impact in today's world? The problem seems so big and so untouchable and what can I as one little individual do to make an impact? And so the answer I shared with him, I think is a similar answer that I would give to you. It's one person at a time. And if all of us took that commitment and had that passion and energy, how can you impact someone one person at a time? What would that do for the collective community around us? And so when I think about it from a business standpoint and scalability, if I were king or queen for a day, I would love to say your role on my team is that you're responsible for one person at a time. How are you helping people uncover that hidden gem? How are you helping someone realize what they didn't even think was possible? And then how do you connect that to the team dynamic? Because that's where the beauty lives, right? Is seeing if this person's really amazing and has this capability, and so does this person over here has something that might upset their capability in a really unique way. What if we put them together? What would they be able to do together? And I think that's where the power comes from. And so if we could all 
embrace that and think about it that way and really tackle it one person at a time and then connect with teams, you start to have a pretty big movement of shared commitment and shared passion. Is there any, anything you can point to for, you know, investments you're making it or you're trying to make this happen? I, I understand the one person at a time. That's really powerful. Now, if, if leadership above you were to say, hey, we want to help you make this scalable, we understand it's one person at a time. What investments can we make as an organization to help make that possible? What would you say back to that? I guess that the immediate thought that came to my mind, so I'm just going to run with it, is how do you coach and develop everyone to be thinking with empathy and with a level of EQ? And so can you scale it faster if you're bringing that coaching and that upskilling to the organization? Because I really think to do this, you have to have high empathy has to have high EQ. And so could you start there? That would be one one idea. The other is I think you're inspired when you're around other inspirational people. So could you invest in, I don't know, I'm making this up as I go, some sort of cadence where you bring in some of the most inspira- inspirational people around to help inspire your organization and keep that level of energy going. That I think oftentimes People invest in bringing in speakers, right? And they're highly inspirational. They get everyone motivated. And it's a one and done. You don't hear or see from another inspirational speaker until the next year at a conference, right? And so is there a way to make that more sustainable so that you're building that ongoing energy and inspiration over and over and over rather than a yearly event or, you know, every five-year event or whatever that could be? The other, the last thing I would say on this topic there's some companies who I think do something really intriguing, and that is sabbaticals. So after you've been with an organization for X period of time, encouraging and paying for employees to take a sabbatical. And why am I tying that into this? Because I think anytime you can fully disconnect and go somewhere that is inspiring to you, whatever that might be, but something that really allows you to Go deep into yourself and understand, you know, what is your ego that's getting in the way? What is your true purpose? And how can you make it different? I think when you have that space and you can truly disconnect from the technology and the pressures of the working world, you come back a whole different person and you can bring that perspective back. What's resonating with me as you're, as you're talking through that answer is a little story about me. This is not about me, but a little story about me. Prior to my role here at Demand Base, I worked at an ad tech startup. And one thing they always enjoyed, it, it, it was resonating with what you were saying is, is showing your passions, you know? And I think, you know, we might call that, you know, now being your true self. And we had this thing called lunch lectures where, you know, each team, at that time we were a tiny startup. So it was to everybody at the company, but for big organizations, it could be on a team basis and you had, you got together in the office, you ate lunch together. And one person from the team gave a lecture on any topic they wanted to, anything, like anything at all. Uh, we had somebody, we had a woman give a topic on James Bond movies. That was her <laughs> thing. She loved James Bond. And so we got to sit back and hear, you know, the history of James Bond, you know, James Bond and, and you know, his love interests and kind of like, you know, film, the stories and the themes throughout the films. Mine was on baseball sabermetrics. I'm a big baseball nerd. So I talked about the evolution of baseball sabermetrics. So it, it's it's interesting. It's kind of what you're speaking to. You still go out of a sabbatical and, and finding a passion because that passion is going to carry over into your professional life. You know, obviously that sabbatical has nothing to do with, you know, 
your professional life, but it's going to carry over. And so for me, what resonates is, and it's also what you said about bringing in those, those guest speakers or the, you know, the inspirational speakers. I've never heard somebody put it that way where they're like, yeah, they're there and then they're gone. And you're totally right. It's a great role fired up. And then that person's gone, but having somebody that is that constant, you know, member of your team that you count on, you know, that you want to share, you know, passions with and, and understand, you know, who they are as their true self. I always come back to those lunch lectures we used to have. And yeah, it certainly aligns, I think, with what you're saying. I love that idea. I might steal it. And what did you say? It was share your passions or show your passions? No, so share. So it was, it was called lunch share. lectures. And it was like, I, I want to say it was like 30 minutes. And, and it, it was just any topic you wanted, anything at all. It was like, ready, go. And I mean, some people went all out, had these beautiful PowerPoints. I remember mine. I was really pissy that day being in, being in sales. Sometimes, you know, we have to work with fire drills. And so <laughs> mine, I think I, I think I passed out a printed document really quickly with some definitions. And then I think I whiteboarded the whole thing, which is probably an awful way to try to teach somebody about baseball saver metrics. But you know, that's what I did. I love and, it. What I love it is in today's hybrid working model, you know, half virtual for people meeting in person. What I feel is we're losing sense of getting to know each other as yeah. humans. And that's a great, I, I love that idea and that idea of showing your passions and sharing your passions. Great way to get to know people on a, like, hey, this person is actually human. And there's something to this person outside of their day-to-day work. That's a, I love it. I might steal that. It's all yours. It's my gift to yeah. you for joining, joining the podcast. Thank you. The, Thank you. Okay. So the question back to you is, at this point, we're way off the cuff. The question, question back to you is, what would be your lunch lecture? Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, what would be, I'm not, I'm a huge animal rights, the animal dog lover. So I might go down that path. I'm also right now, if you can't tell, big into um, ego and how does your ego get in the way and how can it actually work for you or against you? So I might do a combo of dogs and ego. I think they can go well together. I love it. I've been known to stop somebody mid-conversation and point at a dog that has its head out the window of a passing car. It's it's very rude to me. I, I can't help it. So but I also, have a deep passion for, for dogs and the animal humane society. Like how do we how do we help get all that under control? Anyway, uh, another that's a different topic. Yeah. Last last thing I'll say because I love this topic. I donate to an organization that provides uh, seeing eye dogs for they're trained by prison inmates. So oftentimes, you know, inmates, you know, people who are incarcerated, incarcerated, you know, have have available time on their hands. We obviously need, you know, seeing eye dogs for a lot of folks. And so it's a it's a beautiful, you know, symbiotic relationship and it it helps out everyone. So just quick aside. Yeah, I love it. I have a question I want to ask you, and it's a bit pointed. You often get asked the question, you know, whether it's in your job interviews or in your personal life, what does leadership mean to you? And I'll, I'll show you my cards before I ask for yours. When people okay. ask me what leadership means to me, I often cite uh, The Matrix. I, have you seen the movie? I'm assuming yes. I don't know. So The Matrix is the old that Keanu reads. So in the movie, you know, Morpheus is telling him, like, you're the prophet, you're the one. And Keanu Reeves is saying, no, I'm not. And he says, okay. You're going to go see this person called the Oracle. She's going to tell you. She knows everything. She's going to tell you. So Keanu Reeves goes to see the Oracle and he says, am I the one? And she says, no. And he's crushed. He, he's, he's walking back crushed. And he's like, he's saying to himself, you know, Morpheus is saying I am. She says, you know, sorry, kid. You're not, you're not the one. What it leads to is he then goes back to Morpheus 
and there's this crazy battle scene and he goes to sacrifice himself to save Morpheus because he's saying to himself, if I'm not the one, Morpheus has to continue the search. And so he sacrifices himself. And in doing so, his character's name's Neo, Neo fulfills a prophecy. He actually becomes the one. So that's all concluded. He goes to Morpheus and he says, I don't understand. You told me the Oracle knew everything. And she told me I wasn't the one. She told me that she, you, know, you said she told me the truth. I'm not the one. And Morpheus stops him and says, no, she didn't tell you the truth. She told you exactly what you need to hear. And so for me, to distill that down in leadership, and it, it comes back to what you said, where when we talked about how do you scale this, you said one person at a time. For me, leadership is, it, it's a tough question to answer because it, it depends on the, on, the, on the person. Like that one person that you're trying to cultivate, like what do they need to hear? Like what is, you know, what will motivate them? What is their passion? You know, what is their true self? How do you align with that? So I always like answering the question with, it depends on and anybody who's going to tell you otherwise, I don't believe it, but I'd love to hear your answers. I've given my long-winded one. Well, I fully agree with you. I do think it depends. I reach unique and what friends you as a leader should inspire in whatever way, shape or form that takes. And so some people are inspired by helping. They need more confidence. They need someone who believes in them and helps build that confidence and that inspires them. Some people are overconfident. Some people think they are the one and they're ready to rule the world, right? And how, how can you work beside them and, and maybe show some further opportunities for growth, right? And so I think there is a unique approach that has to be deployed depending on the person or even the situation. You know, if you look at often we're leading that, we're not just in settings where we're in the word, but we're in team dynamic. And so I also think it's understanding at the moment, well, what is the team need and want? Who up for the team can help me? I think so often we feel like leaders should have all the answers. And there, there's this one person who's going to come in and fix everything and have all the answers. And obviously that's not the case. And so I think the more that you can really understand, even in a team dynamic, who else in this team is influential? Who else in this team can help problem solve and whatever the scenario is, bring us along? And so I guess I'll just reinforce it. It really does deploy the ability to look at what's happening. I'll go back to its empathy, its EQ, its what is the problem that we're trying to solve? Is it a team problem, an individual problem? Or is there no problem at all? And we're just trying to get everyone kind of moving in the same direction. What does that look like? So I do think it, it just requires the ability to have and slow based on whatever is in front of you. But I will say I always do go back to some of these key points of not to overuse this statement, but am I putting myself out in front of everyone? Am I putting myself in a position where people think I have all the answers? Because if that's the case, I'm not doing it right. Um, I don't have all the answers and I need people around me to help help find the answers. So I think collectively, we can get somewhere really powerful. So you didn't know this, but we actually are going to put you on the spot to give your lunch lecture. By that, I mean, I'm going to ask you, based on what you said, how does ego play into that? Both, you know, from both ends, the person who might be in that position of leadership and that recipient, you know, that person who maybe needs to be inspired. How does ego play into both ends of that? I think everyone's ego is different, right? I, uh, so I'll, I have a book recommendation or a podcast recommendation for you. I, I don't know how old it is now, but Oprah and Eckhart Tolle did like a 12-part podcast series where they break down Eckhart Tolle's book, That's All on Ego, A New Awakening, I think it's called. And it's a 12-part series and they break down chapter by chapter by chapter. You, if you haven't gone through this, don't even read the book. Just listen to the podcast because the book is kind of a tough read. So highly recommend it. 
And the reason why I'm referencing that is because I think everyone's ego is different. I, I will share with you, my ego is often, probably can't tell already, is often one of self-doubt and lack of confidence and I'm not good enough. And so I let my ego get in the way and I create these stories of, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough for whatever sad situation. That is my ego. And I have to put it in check pretty much daily, uh, if not even hourly at times. So that's my ego. I think for others, ego can play out. And, you know, I think when people hear the e- word ego, they think arrogant and overconfident and whatnot. But ego really is not that. And so I, I guess I would say everyone's ego is very different. And the more that you can get to know a person on a personal level, what have they been through? What are their life experiences from not just their work experiences? You start to get a view into what might that ego look like and how can you then help ensure that it gets out of their way. Bringing that back to a professional sense, how can others around you, you know, be aware of, you know, that is, that is your ego. You know, if I'm, if I'm working with Dina and and again, it's interesting. You say, when I say the word ego, I think of what you just said, where most people think about as this competence thing. And it's not in this case. So if I'm working with Dina, do I have the, the knowledge to know this is her ego? This is how I need to help her. Meaning, and I think you can probably define it as like imposter syndrome, you know, to some yes. degree or self-doubt. Yeah. How, how do I, as a professional teammate of you, how does that relationship work? I mean, is this just an all an internal thing where, you know, you know, you need to manage it, you know, yourself and others around you don't necessarily need to know this about you. Or is this a thing where you make others aware of, you know, where you're coming from and what lens you might see things with that negative narrative maybe building in your mind? Like, how does that work with, you know, teammates of Dina's? Ooh, that's a loaded question. So let's start with people who are on my team and we're on a team together. I do share that with in part of getting to know each other. How do you share that? Just as I did with you. I wait into you, you the conversation. You go on a you go on a podcast with each of these people. Exactly. No, but you go into a conversation of you think about when you first when I first joined. So I've been in this current role just shy of two years. And with my current team that reports to me directly, we spent a lot of time just when I first joined getting to know each other. And Getting to know each other for me was, I don't really care about your achievements right now at Ergatron. I just really want to know about you. Tell me about your achievements in your personal life. What are you most proud of? Let's start there before we ever talk about what have you accomplished within the world of Ergatron. And it's through that conversation that I try my best to be my authentic self, if you will, and be vulnerable. And it does require vulnerability. And what I will share, what I haven't done a good job is with my peer group. I am in a male-dominated environment. You know, generally, I'm the typically I'm the only female. Typically, I'm the youngest by ten or so years, and that is really a great question in terms of how how do I share that with my peer site group? And that requires a, a whole different level of being vulnerable. And you know, what does that mean? Especially, there's and maybe this is part of my ego, but there is a perception of when you're working side by side with men and you're the only female, there is a, a bit of, I have to show up kind of like them. Overly confident, uh, confident in my position, secure in what I know, that sort of thing. So it can be hard to show that side of yourself because will it create doubts in someone else's mind? So it's a, it's a great question and you're getting my 
conscious stream of thinking here of how can you do a better job with your peer set group? Because that's, I think, where it gets true. Well, I'll share a brief story because you know, I'm asking you a lot of questions and I'm, I'm hoping we'll edit this story out. But uh, it's interesting. My, my wife and I just went to a barbecue festival here in Denver. And I've always wanted to go to a barbecue festival. It's one of my, my you know, bucket list items. <laughs> so we go to this barbecue festival. Very quickly, we realized the environment in terms of the people that were there were not what we expected. Uh, you know, we paid extra for like all you can eat, like VIP lines and all you can drink and stuff. The environment was not what we expected. And I'm the kind of person where I can kind of gauge my environment, like, okay, this is how it is. I'm going to roll with it. You know, I guess to draw a parallel, it's like walking into, you know, uh, it's like, you're going to go to a nice, you know, cocktail bar and you walk in, it's a dive bar. You're like, yeah. okay, like I can adjust to this, you know? Right. And, right. and I was telling we, I have a, I have a zoom happy hour group. I get with every Saturday night. We've gotten together when pandemic first started and we've just continued and all. It's been really wonderful. It's been very therapeutic and everybody there is very, very vulnerable to your point. It's great. So I was telling the story to them and I said, my wife, uh, it takes her a little bit longer to adjust. You know, when she walks into that diet bar thinking it would have been a nice cocktail place, it takes her a little bit longer to adjust to, oh, this is what the environment's actually going to be. And one of our friends, uh, she, she's, she's a female, she called me out on this and she said, yeah, because you have the benefit of male privilege. And I was like, yeah, you know, you're kind of right. Like, I can't just be like, all right, this is the environment. Like, you know, no difference to me, you know, but understanding from like her lens, in this case, it was a lens of like a female, like it can be harder. You know, it, it does have a bigger impact on you being a woman than it does, you know, being, being a male. So to bring it back to what you were saying, when you said that in some of these other groups that you're in, you know, I'm picturing this like board meeting, right? And you might yeah. be that the only female there. And, you know, and maybe, you know, younger and that might have an impact on it. I think, you know, me putting myself in that position of maybe that, that older male or whatever, I need to make sure that I'm also seeing things, you know, from your lens. And we, we talked about finding professional allies, being able to like, I guess putting you on a pedestal is a really bad term, but like giving you that, like that, you know, leverage and opportunity and space to, you know, to voice those vulnerabilities and making sure that everyone is, is okay with that and accept that in a good way. So that. That's what resonates for me in this you know, stream of consciousness that I'm now you know, running can we come, on. Can we work together in some future lives? <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I'm sure there's more more podcast interviews in our future. It should be great. You know, I will share. I had a great manager who's still a great mentor of mine while I was at Eco Lab, and that's where I spent the bulk of my career. And I always tell people, men who are raising daughters are often the greatest allies of women in the workplace. And so I was very fortunate to pretty much throughout my career be working with men who have daughters. And this particular gentleman, his name was, is Tom, raising two daughters. And his mantra was all about, I don't care, male, female, how many years of experience you have or don't have. There's a reason why you're on my team. And it's because you're bringing something of value. And so if you're going to sit on my team and not recognize the value that the others are bringing, you need to leave. Because I'm not going to fight this battle every day. And he was very direct and very pointed about it. And then he was also very upfront about what he saw as everyone's unique value and why he thought it was so special as a team by parent. And I think there's something just really powerful in that leadership style. And, you know, I think the world could benefit from more of that, of a leader standing up and saying, here's why you're on my team. Here's what you bring. Here's what you bring. And here's together what I'm counting on you guys bringing. And if you can't look across the table and see that value and respect it, you need to walk away. 
I don't know. I just, I loved his approach and it was very powerful for me to be part of that. Yeah. I like, I like that too, because again, I'm still mentally in that boardroom with you somewhere. And I like that approach because then it's that aspect of, as I look across the table, so to speak, I don't have a lens of, oh, this is a female on my team. I have a lens of this person right here. They bring, you know, this, this, and this to the team, uh, in a, in a perfect world. I know their vulnerabilities. They know mine. Like I know their ego. They know my ego. We're good with that. You know, we can manage that together and like, you know, be, be in sync. You may not always get along or agree, but that's okay. Conflict can be okay because if that person across the table brings that passion and that empathy to the team, we're going to go somewhere great together. So it's a nice lens to not have that, you know, female male, but this is what the person brings to the team. And this is what's going to help us, you know, be better holistically as a result. Yeah, absolutely. Now that we're saying it out loud, I think I need to do something more with that. And hey, you know, you've, you've supplied a lot of great nuggets for me. I'm trying to do my best to keep up here. I can't, but I'm trying. I, the best I've got is The Matrix. Uh, um, okay, so, oh God, it's a really long movie. It's like a sci-fi movie. I don't know if you want to watch it. Um, I'll watch it. I'm really great at watching movies with pieces of parts, so I, I'll do it. I'm, uh, I'm the opposite. I can't do that. Are you the kind of person who can read like three books at once? Yes. Oh, you're, you're so the kind of person who starts at the back of the book. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, gee. So now that I'm in that boardroom with you mentally, I'm going to say, this is Dina. She's great. One, one hurdle. She reads books back to front. Okay. Yes. So, so on that topic, and I, I know you mentioned a podcast, which I will listen to because speaking of dogs, uh, my wife and I adopted a, we did, you know, adopted a COVID puppy, the San Francisco SPCA. We'll probably, we should probably edit out who said this. It's not a slap or anything. They were great. They told us uh, she'd be 45 pounds. She's oh, now 80. No. She's yeah. now 80 pounds. We also, had a com- so we also had a conversation of what kind of dog we wanted. My wife has never grown up with dogs. She, she's had cats. I've grown up with dogs. And we talked about, okay, we don't, want a, we don't want a pit bull. We don't want a German shepherd. Here's why. Love both those dogs. I have zero problems with both those dogs. Pit bulls are tough at the time you live in San Francisco with landlords. They'll ask, mm-hmm. like, do you have a pit bull? And then also when you're around people and you say have a pit bull, there's this like connotation. I was like, I just don't want to deal with that. Love pit bulls. I don't want to deal with that. German shepherds didn't want because they're so smart. You constantly have to give them something to do. It's a constant thing. And for a first dog, we're like, let's, let's get something easy. So we go to see this dog, happy puppy, runs out. My wife is basically crying. You know, it's over with. It's over with within the first 10 seconds. And uh, it's a lab mix named Magic. It's a boy dog, lab mix named Magic. It's going to be 45 pounds. I look at the dog and I go, that's not a boy. And they say, oh, you're right. So Magic became Maggie. Maggie is not 45 pounds. She's 80 pounds. And we did the whole DNA, te- a DNA test. Spoiler alert, Maggie is a German Shepherd Pitbull mix. So we, we love her to death. That's, that's my long story. Um, oh, with, your, no. with, your, with your podcast recommendation, we have to take her on walks every day, you know, at least if not twice a day and get that some energy out. So I will listen to that podcast. So besides that podcast and that, in that book, you know, that aligns, do you have any great movie recommendations, book recommendations, podcast recommendations beyond that? Oh gosh. Well, so I'm just a fan of Oprah's podcast in general. Another one is, oh my gosh, no, I just, I just actually told someone too. Now I'm losing his name. Tim Ferriss. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the work week guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a great podcast. Do you have any? Uh, do you have any guilty pleasure movie books? Books. So I read a lot of books in general. 
it's my <laughs> back to back to fruit. I, 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 I feel like I'm in a dissertation. I need to know what happens, so then I don't have to feel like I need to rush through the book. I can feel more at ease. So that's where that comes from. But guilty pleasure, I actually don't love to read books that are lectures and let me tell you the greatest theory I've ever created in life. Those don't usually resonate with me. So I'm big on history. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned in history, as most people do. So I'm a huge fan of reading books about history, the politics through history wars, all that. I think there's a lot to be learned from there. But my guilty pleasure is really just murder mysteries, romance mysteries, that kind of thing. Non-thinking books that you can just really decompress with and fall asleep. Well, Dina, uh, this has been a very fun conversation. I've enjoyed every minute of it. And I also want to, first off, I want to thank you for spending time with us and all your insight. I also want to apologize because I went way off the cuff for what we had planned. But again, it made it more fun for me. And thank you so much for for spending time with us today. Thank you for having me. Honestly, it was a fun conversation. And I'm looking forward to that future life where we get to work together. I think that would be a blast. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV. 